Scripture reading this morning is found from that Genesis 12 that Daniel just talked about with the children. And hopefully many of you have your Bibles during this year of the Bible, so you can follow along. Genesis 12, and beginning at verse 1. Here's that story of going forth as if you had a blindfold on. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your birthplace and from the house of your father to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great. So be a blessing. For I will bless those who bless you and those who curse you I will curse. And through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went just as God had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. May God add a blessing to this God's word. Here we are, friends. We are off and running in our year of the Bible. We got a tiger by the tail. Well, let me be encouraging to you. I know reading the Bible, especially all the way through, and all that stuff that we'd probably prefer to skip, it's going to be a great challenge. I realize that. So I commend you for taking that challenge. And I do want to give this encouragement. As we participate in this symphony together, we're all in the orchestra every one of us. And I also promise that along the way with the challenge, there will be many blessings. So let's go for it. Now, as we read the Bible, uh, we learn not only about the scriptures, we learn about ourselves. We learn about ourselves. And that happens because reading the Bible is a cross-cultural experience. It is a cross-cultural experience. Uh, as we read the Bible, the Bible is reading us, and we come to see ourselves as another sees us. The Bible is a cross-cultural experience because it doesn't come from our world. It doesn't have our worldview. We are different in our time and place. Now, take me as an example. I am a middle-aged, middle-class, 21st century formally educated American male. And guess what? There's not a single one of those in the Bible. So I have a cross-cultural experience when I approach the scriptures. Um, because of that particular profile of who I am, and that, that applies to all of us, um, I bring a lot of assumptions to any reading of the scripture, whole or part. It's just the way it is. Like, like, the earth is round. Water comes from a faucet. Men have one wife. Um, if I travel, I get in a car. All those kinds of assumptions. Those are the obvious ones, and there's plenty that I can be aware of, but some assumptions I'm not even aware of. So, um, those things, so many of, of what makes us up are just not part of the world of the Bible. So it is a cross-cultural experience. 
Because of that, it will be helpful this year as we approach our weekly reading uh, to begin by acknowledging our personal bias the best we can. That is, uh, to, to lay out our cultural assumptions on the table. Now, that doesn't mean we can entirely recognize every one of them or that we can get past them, but the more honest we are about that, um, the greater chance we have of reading the Scripture on its terms. So let me give you that encouragement as well. Now, last week, last week, in Genesis 1 through 11, we received a really astonishing gift. We were allowed to see inside the heart of God. We were allowed to see inside the heart of God. What we saw is that God reluctantly changes towards his creation, and the change is dramatic. In, in the course of six chapters, God moves from very good to very sorry, a dramatic change. And, and we, in our own hearts, feel the pathos of that dramatic change. So God brings the great flood to, as it were, start all over again. But Genesis shows us that you can wipe out all but one family of humankind, but you can't change human nature. And so, amazingly, after the flood, Noah, the very one the Scripture says is the man completely righteous in his generation, Noah, the man whom God specifically chooses to save from the flood. Well, this Noah gets drunk, and in his drunken stupor, he curses his own grandson, Canaan. Imagine. Well, it's a curse that will have far-reaching and long-standing consequences for further history. As astonishing as it is to see inside the heart of God, it's also astonishing to see that the one and only thing that changes after the flood is God. God hangs up his bow once and for all. We might think God is finished with the world, but God does not give up on creation. God tries again. And so based on those two changes in God's heart, from very good to very sorry, and from flood to never again, God chooses a brand new strategy, a brand new strategy for redeeming the world that God will not give up on. Genesis 12 is the launching pad for that new strategy. And once again, God chooses a human partner, one particular family, the family of Abraham. And God says, I will bless you, so be a blessing, for through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. God chooses a particular covenant partner, to serve the rest of all the world by spreading God's blessing. The job of the partners with God is to float all the boats together. God's new strategy for redemption is a, is a plan of blessing, a plan of blessing. Now, God's 
specially chosen covenant partners have a close relationship with God, but it's not a relationship which puts them on a pedestal above everybody else or shields them from everybody else. It's a special relationship that involves them, involves them in the life of the rest of the world. And that partnership, moreover, is passed along as Genesis unfolds. What we see is that this, this covenant partnership goes from Abraham to Isaac and then to Jacob and then to all his descendants after him throughout the generations. And if we're reading carefully, it reminds us something, something like a, a, an Old Testament version of Jesus' great commission at the end of Matthew. God's covenant partners are a people on behalf of all people from the standpoint of God's mission to bless. I mean, there's only two kinds of people in the world. There is the covenant family, and there is those to be blessed through the covenant family. Just like for Jesus, there's only two kinds of people. There are disciples and people invited to be disciples. So God, in this section, this middle section of Genesis, which is our focus for today, God begins his blessing project. God does not delay. And so in Genesis 17, God blesses Ishmael and his family and descendants. Ishmael is not the covenant partner. Isaac is. And yet the not covenanted are not rejected or condemned by God. God indeed wants to bless people outside the covenant family. So the specialness is on behalf of all. Now again, if we're reading carefully, God's blessing project does create a major tension in the scriptures. What about the families of the land of Canaan? What about the Canaanites and Amorites and Hittites and Perizzites and Hivites and Girgashites and Jebusites, all those ites? If, if God's mission is to bless all the families of the earth, then why does Joshua wipe out the Canaanites? It's a very good question. Genesis creates a tension with Joshua, and it is a tension that the Bible never resolves. It's just kind of left hanging there as an open question. What is God's will for the Canaanites. Is it annihilation or blessing? And if it's blessing, then what are we to make of Israel's conquest of the promised land? It's open for us to deal with. Sometimes the story in Genesis is more of a raising question than a giving an answer. And that's true throughout the whole symphony, as we'll discover. Now, many of the stories in Genesis are kind of like looking through a microscope and then looking through a telescope at the same time. I want to explain for you what I mean by that. Uh, it is, in reading one and the same story, it is like reading them on two levels at once. So it's important to give you that little cue here. Uh, one, one level, or through the microscope, 
is like reading these stories um, in an up-close and personal, small, focused way on an individual or a single family unit. That's through the microscope. But we can also read many of these stories in a big picture sense, on the, the level and perspective of nations. And here's a specific text that'll illustrate what I mean about this, this through the microscope, but also through the telescope. In Genesis 25, Rebecca, the wife of Isaac, is at long last pregnant with a child. Well, she touches her stomach, and it feels like the baby is dancing with the stars in there. And so she seeks God to find out what is going on. And God tells her, there are two nations in your womb. I'm not sure that was really a comfort to her. Uh, But the story reminds us about this remembering to read on two levels at once. See, through the microscope and these highly active, as we learn, twins that Rebecca is carrying, through the microscope we are introduced to a lifelong struggle between brothers, Jacob and Esau. That's through the microscope. But through the telescope, this nation's thing is there, which God's word reveals to Rebecca. And so we are also hearing about not only the struggle between brothers, but the conflict between nations, namely Israel and Edom, the two nations for which Jacob and Esau are the founding ancestors. So we are reading a number of these stories on two levels at once, even if it doesn't explicitly tell us to do so. And the same would be true, say, in Genesis 33, Through the microscope, that's about a reconciliation between the brothers. But through the telescope, Genesis 33 is a dream for reconciliation between the nations, Edom and Israel. So keep that in mind as you progress through this material. Okay, well, through the microscope... um, Oh, sorry, that's this way. Through the microscope... One of the things that we see again and again in these Genesis stories is family dysfunction. I am sure you came across that already. Family dysfunction. Uh, Real unhealthy patterns in family systems. And isn't it amazing? We didn't get rid of that with the flood, and we didn't get rid of that with Noah. Just like Noah... The, the next family system with which God partners and chooses them to be his, 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 his companions in this marvelous blessing project, this next family system, the system of Abraham, is full of problems. Uh, the focal point of the problem, as we read in Genesis, is that parents choose a favorite child Didn't they know better? Hadn't they read their family system stuff? Well, I don't know, but it's a repeated pattern, a dysfunctional pattern that that is passed down through the generations. So there is a favoritism in the generation of Abraham for Isaac over Ishmael. And then guess what? 
When Isaac is a father, he favors Esau, but the mother, Rebekah, favors Jacob. And guess what? Jacob favors Joseph over all his brothers. He's the only one that gets the coat of many colors. And then in, in the family system of Jacob, he marries two sisters, Leah and Rachel. Well, that fuels a rivalry between those two women of, of having children. And the children, as they're born, they get involved in the rivalry, and they involve their female slaves in the rivalry. You know, this family doesn't seem to learn anything. That's the way it can be with family dysfunction. Sometimes it's just the familiar patterns what gets repeated. And I'm sure as you look far and maybe uncomfortably near, you will see too unhealthy family patterns that get passed on through the generations. Well, it's there in the, in the chosen family system. It's there. Through the microscope, Genesis shows us the dark side of the covenant people the dark side. And it's not the last time we will see this. We will see it also in another special covenant family, the family of David. So, stay in your saddles. We're not through yet. The, the covenant family may be chosen, but they are far from choice. They have just as many problems as anybody else. And that means that there's no place for arrogance on the part of God's chosen covenant partners. That's a strong message of Genesis. You're not above everybody else. You're special in terms of your task, but not in terms of your disposition or in terms of how you relate to others. And we might also say that as we think about applying Genesis to our own time and place, it invites us to reflect on how rivalry is present with us, subtly, or maybe not so subtly, in our relationships with family members, coworkers, neighbors, classmates, teammates, fellow church members, and through the telescope between the United States and other nations. A lot, a lot of important wisdom here in Genesis for us to consider. Not always comfortable, but right on. Well, because God's intention is to bless all the families of the earth, what we find in Genesis is a remarkable openness, a remarkable openness to people outside the covenant family. Well, that's the ones God wants to bless. So there is a remarkable openness. Sometimes, relationships with people outside the covenant family go well. And Genesis shows us examples of that. Here are a few. In Genesis 14, Melchizedek, a foreign priest, blesses Abraham. In Genesis 21, and again in Genesis 26, first Abraham and Abimelech, then Isaac and Abimelech, have disputes between their clans over water rights, but they come to resolve those peaceably without violence. In Genesis 23, one of the ites, <laughs> a Hittite landowner, offers to Abraham a field 
on his property with a cave as a burial place for Sarah. A good Hittite. Wow. And, and that plot, by the way, becomes the family cemetery for generations to come. And then, as we'll see next week in the Joseph story, the last portion of Genesis, the portrayal of Egypt is remarkable. Egypt is portrayed very favorably. Well, they, they welcome Joseph's family to come and live as special guests in the land. This is in stark contrast to what happens in the second book of the Bible, where in Exodus, Egypt becomes Israel's public enemy number one. So sometimes relationships with people outside the covenant family can go very well. And Genesis encourages us to be open to people outside our families and our churches and outside the Christian faith so that God can indeed spread his blessing. Remarkable openness in the book of Genesis. Now, having said that, let me say more. At the same time, Genesis is also realistic. Sometimes relationships with people outside the covenant family don't go well. And Genesis gives us examples of that, too. So in Genesis 19, Abraham's nephew Lot is living in Sodom. And the men of Sodom treat him and his daughters and his guests with violence. In Genesis 34, Jacob's daughter Dinah goes out to visit with the women of the towns of Canaan surrounding her. She is raped, and then her brothers take excessively violent revenge on the men and the whole city, in fact, which are responsible for this. So Genesis encourages us to be open, but also realistic about relationships with people outside the Christian faith. God's blessing project isn't easy. Well, that brings us to say something about the person of Jacob. Jacob is the central figure in Genesis 25 through 36. And the central theme which stands out, the one that stands out more than any other, is God's amazing grace. God's amazing grace. It is God's amazing grace that is holding this this covenant together and this partnership together and this project to bless all the families. And here's why. Jacob represents the whole nation of Israel. In fact, as you read in this section twice, God formally changes Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel. So he really does represent the whole people. He is the founding ancestor of the nation. Now think about this. Nations tend to idolize their founder. Think about George Washington. <laughs> he is legendary. He is bigger than life. He, he, is, he is the perfect commander. There he is in the boat, standing tall as the, as the small ship passes over the Delaware River in the cold weather. 
He, he is the perfect commander as he spends the winter next to his troops during that awful, awful freezing time in Valley Forge. He is the one who moderates this contentious Continental Congress that is all over the place and trying to dislodge itself from the way a, a kingship works to the way a democracy works. Um, after the Revolutionary War, Washington refuses the offer to be king. He is asked to be king. He refuses it. He absolutely believes in democratic principles, and he will not take advantage. He, he refuses a third term of office, even there's, though there's no precedent on limits at this time to, to how many terms a president can serve, and even though people are pleading with him to do so. He's even the perfect child because he admits to chopping down the cherry tree because he says, I cannot tell a lie. Which, by the way, also means he's the perfect politician because he can always be trusted. So, you see, nations tend to idolize their founder. But what do we see in Genesis about Jacob? Genesis emphatically does not idolize Jacob. To the contrary, Genesis shows us Jacob with all his warts, all his many flaws. He takes advantage of his brother when he's hungry to steal his birthright. He dupes his blind father to steal his brother's blessing. He marries two sisters and fuels their rivalry over having children. He cheats his uncle out of livestock. He's entirely self-interested when his daughter Dinah is raped. He openly plays favorites with his children. Genesis does not make Jacob into a George Washington. He is not a hero, a role model, a grand ancestor, or even, frankly, a likable character. He is self-centered, dishonest, untrustworthy, Jacob is a smooth man in more ways than one. And that is why these stories are about God's amazing grace. In spite of, in spite of who Jacob is, God still carries forward his covenant and his redemption plan through this thoroughly flawed individual. It's about God's amazing grace. <laughs> and there is an enduring assurance in that for us. If God hangs in there with Jacob, then there's hope for Israel and there's hope for us. God's amazing grace is fully present in the first book of the Bible. Well, friends, we are the children of Abraham. We have received God's amazing grace and God's amazing partners. We are the ones who continue the story and the strategy and God's open heart about blessing all the families of the earth. <laughs>